We're in a new series on the biography of Moses. He is an epic character. There's an epic story of calling. And what we want to what we want to communicate in this series is that you might not be a towering figure like Moses, but you're more like him than you think. And throughout this series, we're going to be looking at his four main characteristics, which I highlighted last week. And I guarantee you, you can resonate with at least one of them, and maybe not, maybe all of them. You might not be able to literally split the Red Sea, but you can be more like that man of God, woman of God, who the Lord says, I choose to speak to them face-to-face, as one does to a friend. It's a really good thing to be a friend of God. And that's, that's what we're getting. That's the heart of this, is intimacy with the Lord, having a, having a prayer life that's a communication and not a ritual. To be very, very personal with the Lord. It's difficult. It's hard. It's hard to be intimate with God. But it is so worth it. It is so exciting. It's such an adventure. So I'm just calling you into this adventure with God to find and to highlight and to bring to the surface what your unique calling is because we're all called. We all have a special assignment on our lives. And so let's just find it together. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, like God, we need you now more than ever. Like humbly, we come before you in your presence, and we know that in this broken world that you are the only answer. We cannot cannot serve you, Lord, if we're not in your presence. We cannot move forward into the calling and the destiny that, that you have designed for us if we're not with you face to face. We can't receive breakthrough over what the enemy has had victory over in our lives unless we're submitted to your throne and to your word. So God, as we look at this series and as we look at ourselves, show us the truth of who we are and what we need to work on. We ask that your Holy Spirit just empowers us through this week. In your name, amen. All right, so the very, this is, so basically last week was the introduction. And so today we're kind of getting into the, the details of it. We're going to start with Moses' life before he was even born. He had a destiny on his life before he was born. If you want to get your Bibles out and turn with me to Exodus chapter 1 from the very beginning. God's people, through Joseph and his brothers, had set up camp inside of the most powerful empire the world had ever seen at the time, Egypt. They were not captured. They were not slaves. This is a very interesting point about God's people, the Israelites. They, they were in Israel. They were in Egypt. Joseph was the viceroy. He was like the number two guy over the whole land. There was so much favor. The Pharaoh loved Joseph 
and his people. But over the years, there was a slow fade. I didn't necessarily see it coming. It didn't happen overnight. There was a slow fade from influence and favor into oppression and slavery. They just kind of woke up one day and like, how did we end up in slavery? Well, this will explain what happened. Uh, We'll start with verse 7. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly. They increased in their numbers and became so numerous, the land was filled with them. Then a new king, Pharaoh, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came into power. So the, other, the scriptures say that the, the Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh, forgot about Joseph and everything that he had done for the nation. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal with them shrewdly. Or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight us and leave the country. And so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as storehouse cities for Pharaoh. Okay, pay attention to this. Listen. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. This is for the church today. The more that the church is oppressed, if she is face-to-face with God, the more she will multiply. They multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, and they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of works in the field. And with harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Sapira and Pua, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivering stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. And they let the boys live. The king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let these boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous, and they give birth before the midwives arrive. And so God was kind to the midwives. And the people increased and became numerous and more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave the order to all of his people, all all the Egyptians, Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile to let the girls live. So he even amped it up. Didn't matter if it was at the birthing table. We're just going to grab the little boys and throw them to the crocodiles. Exodus 2. 
Now a man of the tribe of Levi named, excuse me, married a Levite woman. It's the priestly clan, by the way. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could not, when she hid him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with pitch and tar. Then she placed the child in and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. Okay, I'm going to nerd out on you for a second because I'm a history major. Um, We don't know who the Pharaoh of the Exodus was. Whoever it was, it is at a high point in Egyptian culture and power. So whether it was Ramses or Tutmosis or Akhenaten, like we don't know who it is, but whoever it was, like it was a big deal. Everybody knew this guy's name. Everybody knew these pharaohs because, again, at this time, within that thousand-year period, like Egypt was ruling the world. Everybody knew. Like we know who our president is, right? Yeah. There's one theory that the daughter of the pharaoh was the princess Hatshepsut. I probably said that wrong. Hatshepsut. Hatshepsut. I have to be careful how I say that in church. Hatshepsut. I like this theory. Oh, by the way, like. Like godly scholars, like men of God, women of God, are all divided on who the Pharaoh is. We can't figure it out. No one knows. But I like, I like the version that Hapshatsut was this princess that rescued this baby. You know why I like that, that theory? It's because she's blessed. She becomes a Pharaoh in her own right. Like, she actually takes the throne, which is unheard of in ancient Near East culture. And I believe that she could have taken the throne because she saved Moses. Because God had favor upon her. This, again, I, I'm nerding out on you. I'm sorry. We'll look at some of the other possible pharaohs next time. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her female slaves to get it. She opened it up and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. So she was moved by emotion by seeing this baby. This is uh, one of those Hebrew babies. You can kind of tell. Kids, ask your moms and dads about that. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes. Go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take the baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. 
They drew him out of the water, drawing out. So his name's important. There's a couple of different ideas about his name. So from these verses, there's a couple of things that I want to highlight. First off, there is a either a political force or a spiritual force that, that in, in, in the power that wants, to gil, that wants to kill God's children. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Where else have we heard that in the scriptures? Think about December, like December 14th when, when, when we make you dress up in costume. We do this little thing called the living nativity. Isn't that interesting? That Moses, who is the first deliverer, had to face an enemy that wanted to kill children. And in the New Testament, when Jesus is born, what does Herod want to do? Why? Because Herod has that same demonic spirit upon him that wants to kill God's children. We call it the slaughter of the innocents. Fascinating, isn't it? So right out of the gate, we see Joseph, or excuse me, we see Moses becoming a foreshadowing of Jesus. And as we go along in this series, I'm going to point out each time Moses is going to reflect or foreshadow or become a Christ type. Jesus is all over this story, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pull it out. Like I said earlier, this evil pharaoh, this evil king who wanted to kill children, um, we, don't, we don't know who he is. Incidentally, by the way, Moses wrote this, so he wrote down his own story. This is like a biogra- personal biography of him. Moses wrote this about himself. We know because he is a prince of Egypt that he was highly trained in literature, mathematics, uh, commerce. He most likely knew Akkadian in, Egyptian, in addition to Egyptian hieroglyphics. Like the guy would have been incredibly smart. And what we just read here, exceedingly beautiful. They, they, the, others, the other interpretation of this fine child is this beautiful child that like he actually even glowed in, in, in the basket. have a very interesting thought. Why, and this is kind of an annoyance for me, actually, because I want to know, why didn't Moses tell us who the Pharaoh was? He doesn't name the guy. Like, I am so annoyed. I want to know who it is. And then scholars, like, debate and argue about this for hundreds of years, like who's the, who's the Pharaoh of the Exodus? Nobody knows. It's really annoying. But it wasn't an issue for Moses. He didn't care. He, he didn't want to dignify this king by naming him. Naming him would have given him too much power, too much authority in the scriptures. He doesn't name him. Uh, do you want to know who he names? Pua, and what's the other gal's name? Support. Midwives. Like he, okay, catch this. You've got to catch this. It's so beautiful. He chooses to ignore the Pharaoh's name 
who is the most well-known, recognized person in the world. He doesn't name him. But these two little midwives who are insignificant, who have no authority, they have no, no, uh, they have no power inside of their own, you know, because they're women, because it's the ancient world. Like, they, like they're, they've got nothing. It's just fascinating. They end up in the book. Their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but they're also written in the Bible. My name's not in there. Your name's not in there. But these two gals, their names are in there. Why? Because they were faithful and they were courageous. They even fibbed a little bit. And God blessed them. Isn't that powerful? The other part of the story that I want to highlight We know, if you read it, you pay attention when you're reading it, we know that Moses' parents were God-fearing people. Like, they trusted God. They were godly parents. It's it's an important part to think about. And what is the, the drama of the story, the heartbreak of the story, is that Moses' mother pushes him off into the water. She gives him to the Lord. She, she puts her trust in the Lord by pushing him into the water. I don't think I have the courage to do that. I, I, I love my daughter. I, don't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put my faith and my trust, I wouldn't sacrifice my daughter to the Lord in that way. It is is very dramatic. But her being a woman of God, the scriptures are clear about this. They were both men and women. The the parents were were people of God. Now, these are Israelites, and the Israelites that have spread all over Egypt. Okay, you got to get this, because we're going to see it a little bit later. They're not all a bunch of little angels. There are a few, and and they're almost like a remnant that, that follow the Lord. Moses' parents were, were some of them. But the rest of the Israelites, like, I mean, here and there, there might have been some godly people that inherited the stories orally from Joseph and, and such. Like, there might have been a, a good chunk of godly people in there. But as we get into the story, we're going to see that actually, um, as they were in this slow fade of Egyptian culture, they take on all of the pagan characteristics and lifestyles. In, in some cases, they're, no, they're, they're culturally and morally no different than the Egyptians. The only difference is that God's got his mark upon them, that God has a covenant with them. God's covenant with them, he has been faithful in. But at this point in the story, they have not been faithful to God. Well, again, we'll, we'll see that once they start sacrificing to bulls and doing horrible things. We'll, we'll see that when the story unfolds. It's a lot like our culture today. Like, we're so impacted by our culture, we don't even see it. I, even in our own, my, our own little community here, like, I'm so embedded into this culture. Like, if I am not aware, if I am not awake, I don't see what's going on around me. I don't see even the changes that's happened in me or even the, the thought, process, thought, pro, thought processes that I've adopted. I don't see it. 
They didn't see it either. But God brought a deliverer, and he's going to rise all that stuff, all that junk up to the surface, and it's all going to be purified. So Moses' mother was faithful, pushes him out. And do you know what happens when you trust God like that? When you trust, when you give God your all, because Moses was her all, right? I'm not a mom, but I kind of get it. Like that was her everything. She just surrenders her everything. She gives her everything. She gives her life to the Nile. You know what God does? He blesses that decision. He makes a way. I guarantee you, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, Habshetsut was led by the Spirit of God to pull that, to draw that baby out. And then God financially blessed the mother. So not only did, did she get blessed with life and blessed with a miracle and blessed with breakthrough, but because she sacrificed and because she surrendered to the Lord, the Lord blessed her financially. She's on the Egyptian payroll. A slave is on the Egyptian payroll. Isn't that amazing? That's absolutely amazing. I got some either some good news for you or some bad news. That's the end of message number one today. I got two sermons today. So you don't have to come to church next week. You get, you're going to get a twofer. But the idea that in this first couple of chapters is that we are being introduced to the concept of spiritual warfare. And the enemy of God has a very distinct plan in warfare. He wants to take away the blessing at the root. The basket symbolized life, the rescuing of a life. If you can read between the lines, I'll go ahead and just reveal it to you. The taking of an innocent life is not God's plan. We are a pro-life church. I'm a pro-life pastor. Not the easiest topic in the world to deal with. But it's something that we're called to. We're, 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 called, we're called to be a Pua and a, I forgot her name again. Moses didn't forget her name, but I keep forgetting her name. What's her name? Sapporah. Sapporah and Pua. Like God's called us to be that. I know the issues are complicated. Pastor Michael Jones read from Jeremiah this morning and that, that God has formed us in the womb for a calling and for a purpose. And that is a life issue. So I'm going to invite um, Sister Patricia to come up. She's going to share a little bit about one of the, one of the many ministries she's involved in. <laughs> and, uh, let's see, do we have them? Oh, she's, you're all wired up. Look I'm wired. She's wired. <laughs> totally wired. Okay, Pastor Joshua asked me how long it would take for me to deliver my brief message. That depends on you. I have these bottles. I was given 120 bottles for us to fill for the Choices Women's Resource Center. We can be those 
handmaidens. We can be the midwives by supporting a Christian organization that helps women deliver a live baby. When they come, they can hear about abortions. They can get information about abortions, but this organization will never refer them for an abortion or to anyone that would perform an abortion. They have no government funding. It's all dependent upon the Lord and his people. So I'm going to circulate through here, and I really, my agenda is to find homes for these bottles. <laughs> and when I've found homes for them, then Joshua can come back and finish his message. <laughs> so please raise your hand if you want a bottle. This, the bottle, thank you, is to, um, to fill with change or dollars or um, uh, checks. Yeah, gold. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, good, more hands. Yay. <laughs> and I want to tell you something. I'm pro-choice. Jesus said, thank you, um, well, God said in Deuteronomy that I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And he said to, he said, and he gave us the right answer. He said, choose life. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yay. Two more. <laughs> oh, and so I have to. You can you can give a chance. <laughs> so we choose, and he said, "Let heaven and earth see your choice. Choose life. Life is what Jesus was all about. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And so we have an enemy." I was sitting here with all those bottles in my hands where I could not move, and there was a fly bugging me. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? You know, and so, but I just took authority over the prince of the, the bill, you know, the flies, <laughs> and said, the Lord rebuke you in Jesus' name, and it did go. So I know it was sent from the enemy, but see, he is out to kill, steal, and destroy and he set out a message to everyone that, you know, overpopulation, do this, you, you can't afford it, blah, blah, blah. Even to the point that California would become a sanctuary for people that want abortions, they'll pay their travel expenses to come here to get an abortion. But we can make a difference. We can be those people that support the ministries that are hands-on. Choices Women's um, Resource Center is actually located by Cal Poly, and there's a lot of young people in that college that are going to have to make a decision, and we pray that they choose life. Right. And by the way, Pastor Janie, I don't know if she's in here now, but isn't this beautiful? She used it to support the poster. <laughs> I'm done. You're done. All right. <laughs> All right. Yay, Patricia. Now, I am keenly aware that in this building and those that are watching online, a number of you have probably had to make difficult decisions, both men and women. And 
you need to know I would never treat you any differently than anyone else. You need to know that God's grace is sufficient for you. And you do not have to live under the bondage of guilt and shame. It is a tricky subject. Jack Hayford has a famous quote on it. Jack Hayford is a famous Foursquare pastor. Raise your hand if you know who Jack Hayford is. All right. He's now with the Lord. He went to be with the Lord last year. And he had a true compassion for the situation that spoke to me. And he says that this is a, he quotes, this is a, this is a hard topic because both sides of the issue come from a point of compassion. So therefore, it's hard to, to understand and hard to, uh, you know, to deal with. So I would say if, because usually when we bring this up in our church, somebody is offended or hurt, and I understand that. Don't leave. Just let the grace of God rest on you, and let us love you the best we can. Let us love you the best we can. And if you ever get to the point where you want to open up and talk about it, there will be no judgmental spirit. I promise you that, as long as you're talking to me. I promise you that. Because God's grace is sufficient. And it covers a multitude of sins. Rest in God's grace. All right. Sermon number one is down. I, by the way, I'm breaking all the rules for um, modern preaching and public speaking, hermeneutics. I'm breaking them all today. Shouldn't be doing this. But I feel so strongly about it right now. Like so strongly. I was woken up early in the morning from a dream. Like, and I have, like, I'm a dreamer. This asked my wife. Like, I, day, I day, daydream when she's talking to me. I just go somewhere else. <laughs> I know, right? Just a, it's a skill. It's a gift. Ask my teachers. Joshua daydreams way too much. That's his problem. And I have all kinds of fun and crazy dreams. I have pizza dreams. If I watch a scary movie, I have scary dreams. I watch a funny movie, I have funny dreams. You need to be really honest with yourself about how impressionable you are about the inputs that you get. Not everything is from the Lord. All right? If you watch a scary movie, you have a bad dream, you're not under a spiritual attack, you just made a bad decision. (laughs) But I had a dream so vivid, so clear. Resonated with me so much, and I kicked it around, prayed about it a lot, shared it with others, and I need to share it with you. Hang on to your seats. The dream started off of being in a worship service, church. It was this church, but it was at a different location. It was in Hawaii. Would you all like to move to Hawaii? I know there's a few of us that would. We could all just leave California. Let's not relocate to Idaho or Texas. Let's relocate to Hawaii instead. Amen? 
So our church, the congregation, we were in Hawaii, and we were still doing the Moses series. And I had invited a special speaker to come in and preach on Moses. Taking a little break. Having somebody from the outside to come in and, you know, read the Word of God to us. I'm sitting in the back. I'm relaxing. And the speaker decides that he is not going to do the biography of Moses. Instead, he wings it and does Christmas in July. I'm dead serious. He starts preaching about Christmas in July. And, in, and, and then he makes the, the worship team do Hark the Angel Herald Sing. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're all, I mean, I, I'm like, I'm frustrated in the back. I don't, I, don't enter, I don't get up and do anything. I'm just like, what's he doing? And then the monitor goes out. And so I know that we need this monitor because a lot of us don't know the words. Sometimes I don't know the words. So we need, the, we need this, right? But the monitor goes out, and everybody, they don't know the Christmas songs. <laughs> and so some of the faithful come up with Sharpies, and they begin to write the lyrics on, on the wall as fast as they can. But nobody can read it because it's way too small, and they're way too slow. And then Santa Claus comes in. I'm like, what in the world's going on? It's just like the whole service turned into chaos and pandemonium. And he's speaking on Christmas in July. And then he says, okay, church, it's time to take an intermission. Now, I didn't do it right. I can't quite get that word right. But when he says it's time for us to take an intermission, like the whole tone of that word, intermission, went into a a frequency or a space that was so dark and evil. And when he said intermission, it, it, it almost like it cast a spell on the whole church. It's time for an intermission. He cast this, this spell over the whole church. And as soon as he spoke that evil word, it's almost like all oh, the whole church became zombies. And then they began just to walk out of the church dead. And Mako and I are sitting in the back. We're like freaking out. Like, what in the world's going on? They all just kind of began to just to fade out. And, like, and then they just all went their own separate ways. And then this, this preacher started doing this dance, and, and, and people were, were kind of moved emotionally, but it wasn't a healthy emotion. Like, in one word, with one communicative word, this person was able to divide an entire congregation and disperse them. Interesting. So Mako and I catch this older couple because we're just trying to catch everybody. So we caught only one couple, and it was an older couple. And it was a big giant guy, older giant guy. He was bald, and he had a peach-colored Hawaiian shirt on and shorts. He just looked, you know, like an average Joe that's vacationing in Hawaii. And his wife, again, older couple, his wife 
Uh, it was a cute little thing with a beehive hairdo <laughs> and a red velvet jumpsuit that just kind of fit her body perfectly. I'm like, hey, where are you going? Let's get back into church. And immediately, as I said, let's, let's get back into church. Let's, let's come back into the sanctuary. Don't, don't just wander off. Come back into the sanctuary. Immedi- as soon as I did that, he starts complaining. Oh, Pastor Josh, I've, things are so hard right now. Financially, I can't make it. I'm, like, oh, I'm really sorry. Let's come back into the sanctuary. Oh, Pastor Josh, my hip, my hip went out on me, and I can't walk straight anymore. I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry for you. That's, that's really sad. Would you just come back into the sanctuary? Oh, Pastor Josh. It's like Eeyore, right? So just get Eeyore's, like how Eeyore would talk. That's how he was talking to me. And as he's complaining about everything, on, on top of his head, I see these little things start moving. And I, I'm like, I'm, so I'm trying to listen to this guy's problems. Like, I want to be the engaged pastor. I want to care. I want to listen to his problems. But I keep, keep on getting distracted by, by something that's kind of going on in his head. So, I, again, I daydream. I get easily distracted. I most likely have ADHD, by the way. <laughs> Self-diagnose myself. <laughs> so I can't pay attention to anything. I can't com- pay attention to all of his complaining because I'm distracted by this little thing that's, w- that's, that's going on up here. And then I'm like looking, and I'm looking, and it's like, boy, this looks like, like, like antennas. I'm like, oh, I'm kind of weird. And then over his big, giant, sweaty, bald head, this millipede, centipede, starts wrapping around his head like this. And it's like from, it's like one of those centipedes from Jurassic Park, like creepy and scary, gross. I'm like, whoa, oh, you, you, got a, you got a centipede on your head. Oh, Pastor Josh, my, my, my kids aren't walking with the Lord anymore. Oh, you got a centipede on your head. He keeps on complaining. I'm like, You've got a poisonous insect crawling around your head. Complaining, complaining, complaining. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm, okay, okay, i got to quit being a little girl here. i got to suck it up. So I'm trying to flick this thing off. Like, like get, flick it off. Get, get it off. Like, flick this thing off. And I flick it off. And this slimy creature lands on some 1970s shag carpet. And it gets it all slimy. And I'm like, oh, I got it off him. And so we're in Hawaii, right? So I take off my flip-flop. And I, like, start chasing it around this carpet. I'm just, like, trying to smack it. But I'm really not getting very far because it's a flip-flop. It's like a foam sandal. And I'm, like, whipping this thing, trying to kill it. And I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for this. I'm like, come here, you little bastard. I'm going to kill you. And I'm like, but I can't get any damage on it. I'm chasing it all around the lobby. And then the, and I'm, I'm trying to smack it. And then the, the evil thing jumps on the guy's wife. And so like, I almost whack her with the flip-flop. I'm like, oh, I, I can't do that. I don't want to hurt this guy with the flip-flop. And she's completely clueless. She has no idea that this gross thing's on her. 
And so I get back to flicking, and I flick it, and I flick it, and I flick it. Now this time, it jumps on my face like aliens. And I'm like, I'm getting it off, like, oh, I'm getting it off. And, it, and it, its tail goes in my mouth. And I bite it off. I spit it out. And then finally I whack it enough times with this flip-flop that it finally dies. And then I pick the slimy thing up, and it's like, it's dead. I'm like shaking it to make sure it's dead. I'm like, I killed it. I did it. And the ball guy's like, oh, Pastor Josh. My 40-year-old son lives in my basement, and I can't get him out. And I'm just not quite sure about this new president. I think that the country's going to hell in a handbasket. Like, you had a poisonous insect crawling all over your head, and now it's gone. And he couldn't get his mind off of what was really going on. Nor could I get him back into the sanctuary. take the evil creature and I throw it into the sea. I'm like, victory! I have won! I have killed it. And as soon as I stepped into that place of victory, that piece of the tail that I had spit out, it had replicated itself inside of my mouth. duplicated itself somehow. And I could feel the toxins just kind of running through my body. And I spit it out again. And this time, I just, I just barfed all over the place. It's like a barf-arama from Stand By Me. And I was like, I just got it all out. Because that thing got on me. That thing slimed me, got in my mouth. That's gross, right? I thought I spit it out, but its toxins were still there, and it duplicated itself in my mouth, and I had to be purged of that. What does this crazy dream mean? I believe it's from the Lord because I was able to come up with four points immediately. I was constantly writing. It is all came together. Four things that, that, that I can learn, and probably more importantly, that you can learn from this dream. First thing is that I have to be very careful, and I have been instructed by this by elders. I have to be very careful, and I have to guard who I allow or who I share the pulpit with. Amen. I just can't let any Joe Schmo come in because they do a good song and dance. I can't just say, oh, this, person's, you know, this person has a great following. Let's have them come in. Maybe more people will come into the church. I, we, I can't do that because if I do that, it just, they, they're, they, don't, they don't know what page we are on. They don't know what series we're on. They don't know what heartbeat we have. They don't know where God's leading us. Like, I want people to communicate to you who know where God is leading us as a people. I can't allow anybody to have authority inside of the church that's going to breed division. All right? So that makes sense. Amen? All right. 
This is for you, too, and your family. You, 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 moms and dads, husbands and wives, you have to be, ext- now more than ever, you have to be extremely careful who you allow to come into your house or what influences you allow to speak into your family, into your lives. And it can even be a song and dance Christian man. You have to be careful. Like if it is going to draw you out of the sanctuary, out of this face-to-face encounter with God, if it's going to take you out into the lobby where useless conversations happen and we try to do ministry time, but it doesn't take place because we do it within our own power. I'm speaking metaphorically and not, you know, I'm not speaking, you know, this is symbolism then there there can be no breakthrough. Don't allow any thought. The scriptures are very clear about this. You know, don't don't just fall prey to any uh, new teaching that comes along. And you know what? That applies to Christian people, too. Like, you have to, like, well, Pastor Josh's message is boring me. I'm going to go listen to this one instead. I get that. I understand. I'm a consumer Christian. I'm not saying that you can't glean and and learn from other streams. I want to encourage you to do that, actually. But you can't allow other streams to divide this house. If it adds, if it grows, if there's fruit, awesome. If it gives you a sense of entitlement and I'm better than everybody else, I'm better than those granite creakers, then it's divisive. You're following a Pied Piper. In your, around your kitchen table or around your sofa, inside of your home, if your house is divided on theological issues, you've got major problems. Now, we can have intellectual conversations. We can, under, you know, we, can, we can talk things out. But if you are divided theologically, and if it's like you're digging your heels in and there's division in your family, you know, whether it's like, you know, once saved, always saved, or, you know, the Trinity. I don't agree with all that. I mean, whatever these theological issues, you know, when is Jesus coming back? Like, like, if that is breeding division and disunity in your own family, you've got a serious problem. You need to quit arguing about spiritual issues. I understand not spiritual issues. You need to quit arguing about religious issues. And you need to find the unity that is in Jesus Christ. Because that kind of stuff will kill your family. Furthermore, maybe you don't have theological debates inside of your own church family. You have to guard the entrance of your door of what comes in. You have to be very wary of the current situations that are going on in this world, the the messages that the evil one wants to promote, whether it is woke ideology or whatever else is going on. This is the craziest time that we've ever seen. And you have to guard the entrance into your home on what is being communicated and what is being indoctrinated. You can't allow not only religious debates divide your family, you can't let the enemy of God divide your family either. There's a very clear scripture about this. Like I said earlier, you know, we talk about the Israelites. They are God's people. They are chosen. They are They are the covenant people, but they weren't the faithful people. And Joshua, after Moses released him into ministry, and Joshua's 
taking them into the promised land. Years and years of work. Years and years of ministry. Years and years of victory and triumph. He still had to deal with a people that was in bed with the enemy. And in his later days, Joshua 24, he had to say this. I mean, you think that they would have gotten it by now. Just love technology. I think I've learned my lesson by now, right? Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, and he summoned the elders and judges and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nador, they lived beyond the river and they worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I signed the hill countries. And they went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what they did, and I brought you out, I drew you out. Then I brought your forefathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. Verse 14. Now fear the Lord, and serve him with all faithfulness. He is saying this to a people that ought to know better. Yeah? Throw away the gods of your forefathers who worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So they're still worshiping the gods of the Sumerians. They're still worshiping the gods of the Egyptians. Throw away those idols. But... As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Husbands and wives, you need to declare this over your house. Single moms, you need to declare this over your house. You need to say it in front of your children. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will not allow division to come into this house. It's a very powerful statement. If you are a single person, you need to pray this over your own self and over your own house. As for my, myself, I will, I will serve the Lord. Don't allow division to come into your family or into your church or even into your own mind. Don't allow it. Guard that. Ignore that Pied Piper that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Secondly, We need to stop wearing flip-flops to church. 
We need to stop wearing flip-flops to church. Instead, we need to wear combat boots. Maybe Air Jordans. But you got to wear something that will smash the head of the serpent. Way too long, and this is just kind of a part of church culture, way too long church has been casual, church has been easy. Come as you are, you'll be loved. And that is a true statement. Way too long we've said we've got to catch them before we clean them. Yeah? All right, most of you have already been caught. It's time to go fishing. Most of you have been clean a long time. Let's go get a harpoon. Let's go get some big whale. Yeah? There is this. Now, I'm not, gonna, I'm not bagging on anybody's clothes right now. I'm not going to enforce a dress code at church. I think that's dumb. But I do want to address the casual attitude that is in the heart. It says, ah, I can just do whatever I want. Ah, oh, God. And then we twist the scripture. Oh, God's grace is sufficient. So I can slack off. I can come into God's house without a sense of reverence. You need to come into God's house with a sense of reverence. At least come into God's house with a bare minimum, the same way that you would go into your work environment. Are you able to do that? Are you able to treat each other like you would treat you know, your boss or your employees? Like how much respect do you have? Little respect for people in church and you have more respect for people in the workforce? I'm just kind of curious. I don't know. But my point is we have to, years ago, um, I think it was the 80s. That's how long I've been around. We were in you know, casual church service. And guy, and I know some of you have T-shirts on. You're all good. I'm not bashing on you. But it was the attitude and it was the position of the heart that needed to be addressed. My dad addressed it. There was a gentleman whom I still love very much. They don't go here. But T-shirt, super tight T-shirt flip-flops, and those really cool OP shirt shorts, the corduroy ones. Remember those things? And he's just like lounging in church, like spread eagle for the whole world to see. He's like, dude, you, you cross your legs. You're in church. You can't, you can't, you can't have that posture, that casual posture and be in a, a position of worship. I just like, like we just need to come to church with battle boots on. Now we need to come to church. This is going to be sound. I got to be careful. How I say this. We need to come to church to do God's work. Yeah. But what we do here is called Sabbath. So 
you are, you're, you're, hopefully you're being inspired by worship. You're in God's presence. We're doing some teaching. We're doing some preaching. Like you need, to, you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord on Sunday. This is your Sabbath. This is your Sabbath day of rest where you plug in your batteries. But here's the deal about Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest is active. It's not lazy. When I, was in, when I was in Jerusalem as a college student, I was like wandering around, uh, leather sandals, ratty t-shirt, shorts, big old afro. Like I had an afro like one time. It was legendary. <laughs> I was sweaty and grimy. I traveled all over the place, just kind of being the vagabond. And I'm at the Wailing Wall. This... And this rabbi approached me because he thought I was a Jewish boy. I am a little Jewish boy. I, got, I don't know how much percent, but more than you. Um, I, have a, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, but it, he, he just thought I was, because it happens. Like there's this, you know, back in the day, you know, Jewish kids would go to the, the Holy Land and just kind of either end up on a, you know, um, kibbutz and, you know, just bum around. It's awesome. Love the 90s. So he invited me to Shabbat dinner. It's a Saturday. So you just, just come and be my guest. And so I come in. I'm just nasty and stinky, and they invited me into the house. And it was a holy moment. And they did all the ritual food, and they, you know, they didn't light, you know, they don't light anything. They don't, they don't work. But yet, at the Shabbat dinner table, like, I, those kids are all dressed up. Like, their family was in order. Everybody had, for lack of a better termination, everybody had their church clothes on, except for me. They, they invited me in. But you know what? Like, I felt self-conscious about what I was wearing in their presence. And I think, and again, I'm not going to enforce a dress code, but in the position and the attitude of, the, of your heart and, like, what you're wearing spiritually. Like, do you want to grow? Do you want to you grow bigger? The armor of God is what we need to wear. Again, I'm not going to tell you to wear. Oh, I don't. My stupid. Let me see if it's working. I have a screen. It's Ephesians. It's not working. Somebody help me find that verse. What is it? Ephesians six. Six what? There we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. How do you be strong in the Lord? You've got to put on the armor of God. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark age and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. You know what's awesome about being able to, to, to worship God, the band's worshiping, and I get to preach the word of God? You know what? I got, I, you guys are a great audience. Like you are an amazing audience. You guys, I get so encouraged to hear you sing and worship and praise God. I can't tell you what that does to my heart when I hear you guys sing and praise. 
I know that you're listening. You want to know who else is listening? It's right here. Authorities, the powers of the dark world against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms, the principalities that are in this city, in this region, they're listening too. They don't like what we're saying. And we're going to put them on notice. We've got our battle boots on. Amen? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the, against the authorities, against the powers of, dark, of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes... Did you say when it comes? It's not if, it's when. You may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm with the belt buckle of, around your waist, the belt buckle of truth, with the breastplate of righteousness, with, the, with your feet fitted with foam sandals, <laughs> fitted with readiness that comes from what? The gospel of peace. How do you smash the enemy of God? How do you smash slimy little centipedes and snakes and spiders? Mako also had a dream about spiders. She'll tell you about that one later. How do you smash them? You smash them with peace. With, the, with peace. You need to take off your golden sandal and smash them with peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is this, the Word of God. Amen? All right. So, that's what you need to do. When you come into God's house, begin just to put on the armor of God, or at least put on the mantle of righteousness. Not your righteousness, but His righteousness. Change your position and your attitude towards worship when you come into the house. It's a serious time. A serious time requires a serious church. Can you be serious? Good. All right. Um, number three. When you're ministering to somebody, don't fall into the trap of taking them out in the lobby to minister to them. They don't need to go out there. They need to come up here to the altar. I can't tell you how many hours, countless hours of pastoral counseling that I have done, and they never came back into the sanctuary. They were never delivered. I might have flicked the little devil off of them, but it always came right back in. Why? Because they're constantly complaining. If you can't get them to come back into the Holy of Holies, if they don't feel led to come back into the Holy of Holies to drink for themselves... What does Jesus say? You just dust the, the dust off your sandals and you keep on going. He also says, do not cast your pearls before swine. So who are you ministering to if you're ministering to anybody? Are they receptive? Are they hungry? Do they want more? Are they, they engage? They want to come into God's presence? They want breakthrough? They want transformation? Or they just want to complain about everything? That is the language of our culture these days, is to complain about everything. Fourth point. When you're fighting the devil, don't let him get into your mouth. Don't let him get into your mouth. Like you, when you're fighting the devil, 
you will be slimed. It's going to get on you. There's really no way around it. It's just, it's just, it's icky, and you got to get, you got to purge it. But don't let that, don't let them slip into your mouth, everybody. You let the let the enemy of God slip into your mouth, and it's just like you'll know it. You'll know it because it's toxic, and it makes your language toxic. You'll know it because your attitude will change because the toxicity is infecting your body. You need to make sure that you guard your mouth. If you are, if you're angry, if you're saying ill things about other people, if you're saying bad words, like bastard, if that is your language, so this is what it's pastor confession time. Like I noticed, like I'm just like really angry on the freeway. Like saying things in my car that I would not say in public. I'm convicted of that. I've let the enemy of God get into my mouth. And when he gets into your mouth, then you begin to speak his words. You begin to speak his lies. You begin to speak his language. And you've got to spit it out. You've got to purge that out. You've got to get out of that. So you, you, there's power. The power of life and death reside within the tongue. And Ephesians goes on to say, I'd read it, but my computer broke. Uh, Ephesians go, goes on to say that do not speak. It says do not speak bad words. It's not talking about cussing. And then it, goes, then it flips it and says you need to speak words that breathe life. You need to, you need to speak words that encourage Elder Patricia's a master at this when she's driving, I know, because she likes to bless people that cut her off. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So you have to guard your tongue. Make sure you're not speaking the devil's words, even as believers. Like, that stuff can get in your mouth. Don't let it get in your mouth. Don't let it slither in there. Not only do you have to watch the words that are coming out of your mouth, you even need to watch what you put into your mouth. Like, what are you eating? Like, what are, you, what are you feeding upon? It could be spiritually. It can even be literally. I ate way too much chocolate last week. Way too much sugar. I ate things that I shouldn't have put into my mouth. I drank things that I should have put into my body. You guys okay? All right. Don't let the devil get into your mouth when you're doing spiritual warfare. Don't let him win. Don't let him slip in there. He likes to do it. Sneaky guy. Take control. The Word of God says that one of the, one of the, the gifts or the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You have control over your own emotions. You can tell your emotions what to do. Pull yourself together. Don't lose your stuff when life gets sideways. We're called to a higher calling. If I get the band to come on up. Now, again, I broke all the rules for modern day preaching and public speaking. It was a shotgun blast of points. I'm supposed to give you one takeaway point with a powerful application that you can apply. I gave you at least seven today. And so right now, I want to encourage you Spend a moment face-to-face with Jesus. Allow the Holy Spirit to highlight which one you need to take home. 
What is your takeaway? Is it the power of choosing life? Is it the secret of trusting God and letting go? Is it, I've got to fight for unity within my family and within my relationships. I can't let the devil win there. Is it, I need to put on the armor of God. I need to quit using wimpy weapons. I need real weapons. I need spiritual weapons that work where I don't exhaust myself trying to kill something with a weapon that God did not design. Is it that one individual that you're just wasting time with? Like, it's just a strategy of an enemy to waste your time. They're not going to come into the sanctuary. They have no intention to come into the sanctuary. The enemy of God's infected them and wrapped around their sweaty heads so much that they're so toxic they don't even know it. Look, you've planted the seed over and over and over again. They're now in God's hands. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Pray for them. But don't let them drag you out of God's presence so they can complain about something. Or maybe you're a little bit like me. We didn't have self-control over your mouth. It's probably most of us. What is your takeaway today? And in that, here is the solution. I want to encourage you to be a confessional community. The Word of God says that we have to confess our sins to one another. The body of Christ is still alive and well today, the right hand of the Father. But you are also the body of Christ. So let's eat of this bread and become healthy. Amen? Receive the body of Christ and live in a healthy community. Mmm. That's so good. At least I'm pretending it's good. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This week, maybe you did something really bad. Maybe you fibbed. Maybe you lost your temper. All of us have done something that this cup was poured out for. This is the new covenant. And it washes away all of your sins. You drink this in a few moments, you're going to become a saint. Amen? That's your identity. You're not a sinner, you're a saint. So receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Put on that armor of God and walk into sainthood. Thank you, Lord. Okay, before I pass the offering, just bow your heads, close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come. I want to encourage you to put your hand on your heart. Let God speak to you in this moment. Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, we 
come before you, confessing our sins and our failures, knowing that you are calling us up and into a higher place, that you have more planned for us, that you're moving us out of bondage and into the promised land. But in order to do that, we have to be prepared to fight giants. So God, right now, I just pray that you just rest on people's minds. If there is anyone in this room that has a centipede wrapped around their head, by the power of God, rip that thing off and smash it. If there is anybody in this room that is dealing with guilt and shame that is so demoralizing and you feel like you can't move, you feel like you can't breathe, God's grace is sufficient. You have been set free. Don't carry the baggage anymore. God doesn't even remember it. For those of you that are dealing with enormous amounts of frustration, God's grace is sufficient for you too. He knows you're frustrated. And it might feel like he's not answering your prayers, but I guarantee you that he is. So let's allow the peace of God, that peace of God which destroys the enemy, peace of God to come into us and to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Allow the Spirit of God to rest on you. Receive your Sabbath rest, which is active meaning that you're going to sleep well tonight, meaning that you're going to face Monday with a victorious attitude, meaning that nothing will separate you from the love of God tomorrow or the rest of the week. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Come into that relationship with Him face to face. If you want that face to face relationship, I just want to encourage you to reach on out to us. You haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can just do it right now. It's not going to be a hard sell. I'm not going to do an altar call. You say, Jesus, I want to make you the boss of my life. I want to submit to your will. I want to see you face to face. You do that. The only thing you got to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, meaning that you need to tell somebody to get baptized. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We're going to have the ushers come to the front. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your blessings. Thank you, God, that you bless those that are faithful in the little things and that are faithful in the big things. God, may we, may we step out in faith and be a Sephora and a Pua where we're just faithful and God turns and blesses unexpectedly with the enemy's money. I pray for everyone right now that is struggling in their finances. God sees you. He doesn't require much. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Put your faith in him and see what God can do. He's a good God. He 
He's worthy to be worshiped in all ways. God bless you as you give back to him. Come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything to the feet of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. Come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive. In the name of Jesus, this is a house of miracles. Everything, feet of Jesus. Everything, feet of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. There's resurrection power. Your blood goes through our veins. Your kingdom triumphs over even the coldest grave. Come alive. Come alive in the name of Jesus. Come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of what we call the priestly blessing. 
that Moses wrote down in the book of Deuteronomy. You know it. It's, it's famous. We're going to say it every time in this series. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his radiant face to shine upon you. May he turn towards you in your times of need. And may he fill your home with peace. God bless you guys. Have a powerful week. Put on your shoes.